Well, hello, Bethel. Uh, my name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And most Sunday mornings, I'm at the South Campus, but this Sunday morning, we're all online. And so thank you for joining us online. Um, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 14 this morning. And if you're, you know, you've just clicked into this, uh, this online church or you're new with us as a church at Bethel, um, we've been going through the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And all that teaching, all of the Romans teaching up to this point is on our website, on our sermon page. You can uh, watch it there. You can listen to it there. Or there's also a link that'll take you and you can, it'll dump you into iTunes podcast. And so you can subscribe to it there. Um, but we're in Romans 14 this morning. And here's the thing. This is what Paul is going to be talking about. He is going to be talking about th that the Christian life is is meant to be lived in the in the context of the body of Christ. So and inside the body of Christ, inside the local church, there's an assortment of people and they're in all different places in their Christian journey. And so Paul's hope in this chapter of Romans is that he wants to unite believers in their faith. And what he's gonna to appeal to is he's going to appeal to those that are strong in faith, the, the believers who have a maturity that has come from time in God's word and time with God's people and a, and a faith that has matured and then, then flowing out of that faith is um, liberty. So Christian liberty, uh, Christian freedom, that flows out of a faith that matures. And so Paul's point in Romans chapter 14 is we're all living together in the body of Christ is that with great privilege, great privilege of Christian liberty comes great responsibility. And so I'm going to define Christian liberty this way. And simply, the way that I'm saying it is that, one, it's born out of your faith in Christ. And then what it flows from is you're, you understand intellectually and practically uh, the freedom that you have in Christ. And then you embrace that freedom that you have in Christ. And so your life is then less governed by a set of rules and your life is more governed by your conscience, your relationship, the intimacy, the, the sensitivity that you have in relationship with Jesus through his spirit. And so what, what Paul argues is that faith produces liberty. Faith produces freedom. Now, it doesn't, doesn't bring legalism. Faith doesn't produce legalism. Faith doesn't produce license. And so um, his, his point is that, that a faith that matures feels more and more the freedom to live in Christ. And so Christian liberty means that your faith, um, you, you're guided by your faith and conscience, and you're not dependent upon a set of rules. In fact, in here in Romans chapter 14, uh, at the very end, Romans 14, verse 23, he's going to redefine sin um, for lots of us. He, and what he says is, sin is not the things that you do or you don't do. He, he says that in other places. What he's saying here is he's going he's gonna to boil everything down to this, that, that whatever does not proceed from faith, that's what sin is. Sin is anything you do, anything you 
you think, any motives that you have, any, any actions that you take apart from faith, that becomes sin. So sin is not a list of do's and don'ts, but rather it's more in terms of anything that keeps you from Christ. That's what sin is. Um, John Wesley, great leader of the Methodist movement. His mother, Susanna Wesley, was a, uh, was a godly woman, a, a, a giant of the faith. And so she was explaining to her son, John, what exactly sin was. And so she described it this way. He records it later in his life. She told him, if you would judge of the lawfulness or the unlawfulness of a pleasure, then take this simple rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, and takes off the relish of spiritual things, that to you is sin. And so that's what's behind everything it is that Paul is going to be talking about in Romans 14. And the, and the big idea of this chapter is that as we live with one another in the body of Christ, as Christians are in community with each other, as we are in different places in our spiritual journeys, as we are in different places in the maturity of our faith, his whole appeal in Romans chapter 14 is that that one place of maturity or, or one place of immaturity with regard to your faith, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. What he's saying is, is that those who are strong and those who are weak in their faith do not judge each other. Because the reality is we don't stand in judgment to one another. We stand alone in judgment before God. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or, do you, or, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's what he says. And so let me sum this up. I'm going to be focusing uh, specifically on verses 13 through 19. This week, you'll have an opportunity um, to hear uh, from some of the other pastors at Bethel as uh, they walk through different parts of this chapter 14. So we're going to be sending that out to you um, a little bit every single day. We're going to pull the teaching from the different campus services this morning, and we'll deliver that to you this week. Um, through the e-news, it'll be available on the website. Um, we, we want you to have an opportunity to, to linger here in Romans chapter 14. But I'll sum up the chapter for you before I get to verse 13. So, so essentially, um, verses 1 through 12, Paul, he says that um, he's going to address both the strong and the weak Christian, and he's going to tell them, hey, stop condemning each other. Because ultimately, every believer answers to Christ for their own conduct, and we don't answer to each other. And so that's his whole point in the first um, half of the, uh, of the chapter. And then the second half of the chapter, beginning verse 13, he's going to say to the strong Christians, you have to be careful. You don't want to cause weak Christians to stumble. You don't want them to suffer spiritual harm because of the way that you exercise your Christian liberty. So, so love and concern for a weaker brother um, is a higher agenda in the Christian life 
than your own personal freedom. William Barclay, an old commentator, he tells of a, of a guy and he was laying um, near death and, and he was obviously troubled there on his deathbed. And when a friend came and asked him, hey, what are you so disturbed about? What's got you so um, ill at ease here in these last moments? And then he tells the story. He says, one day when I was young, I was playing with some, some other boys at a crossroad. He says, and we reversed the sign so that its arms were pointing in the wrong direction. And then he says this, I've never ceased to wonder how many people were sent in the wrong direction by what we did. That's what Paul's point is. We don't want to send people in the wrong direction because of the things that we do. And so the first thing he's going to tell us in verses 13 and 14 is that liberty is not our highest priority. So look with me. Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, he says this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Listen, verse 13 is so important. What Paul's saying is liberty is not the highest priority. Um, even if you're biblically persuaded that, that all the things that you're doing in your life are clean, that liberty's not your highest priority. Your brother, your sister in Christ, they are the higher priority. So it means this, if you're in a situation and, and you're, you've got to choose between your liberty, your, your freedom, what, 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 what's totally okay to you, um, according to your, your faith in Christ, your conscience, if it's between choosing your freedom, your liberty, or if it's choosing the conscience of a fellow believer, you always choose the fellow believer. In verse 13, he says, hey, don't pass judgment. This is to the, to the weak and to the strong, but he's talking to the strong here. You, you've got to decide. So, so don't, don't pass judgment, and then you've got to decide. Don't put a stumbling block. Don't put a hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister in Christ. And, and when he talks about stumbling block, what he means is he means um, stumbling block is this word that, that something is carelessly left about and then somebody stumbles over it. Like uh, your kids leaving their toys out in the living room and you stumble through that in the dark. Or you step on a Lego. That's what he's talking about. The, the word hindrance, this is literally, he means to seduce or to set a trap. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, Paul tells the Corinthians there, he says, um, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, when you do that, you sin against Christ. So our Christian lives, he's saying, must be, they've got to be seasoned with a refusal to do anything that will harm the spiritual life of a weaker brother. Here's what we're called to protect, to, to sacrifice our liberties for. We're called to protect the, the tenderness and the sensitivity of each other's conscience. And so listen, I'm not talking about um, 
you know, my, I'm responsible to feed your legalism, or I'm responsible to make sure your legalism never gets bent out of shape, or, or uh, that, that my legalism doesn't get bent out of shape. You're not responsible for that. I'm, I'm not talking about legalism. Legalism, the, the essence of it, is, is when you're trusting in a religious activity, or, or you're, uh, um, you're, you're trusting in this activity or these things that you do more than you're trusting in God. It's putting confidence in your practice um, or your prohibitions rather than putting your confidence in a person. And, and without fail, this leads us to love a practice or to love the prohibition more than it does to love the person of Jesus. One uh, Washington Post writer, Samuel uh, Ginder, he said this, if, if moral behavior uh, were simply following rules, then we could program a computer to be moral. Second thing is, I, I'm not, so, so I'm not talking about feeding your, your, your legalism. Um, we, you know, we, we, we've got to um, uh, put, push that away. Um, what I'm talking about is that your liberty not leading someone farther than their own faith or, or their own understanding, and not leading someone further than their conscience allows. All things are lawful, um, which do not lead you away from Christ. But anything that leads you away from Christ and your devotion to him, that's wrong for you. Romans 14, 23, it changes sin from, from being a violation of a list of rules or being a violation of some prohibitions that you have. And it changes sin to say it is anything that violates, anything that hinders your fellowship with Christ. That's sin. So sin's no longer determined by a checklist. It's defined in the context of relationship, your relationship with Christ. And so that's why Paul, you know, he'll say, we want to be people who pray without ceasing. Our, 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 our life as believers is to be a constant stream of communion with, with Christ, our, our risen Savior. It means that from the moment you wake, you're thinking about Christ, you're mindful of Christ, but more than mindful, you're communing with him. And, and I'm not saying that you are hearing voices, I, I, I'm saying that you live desperately for him. And so it matters a great deal what, what you think about the God whom you are in communion with. And this is why we say it all the time at Bethel, the theology is so important. Your, your whole life as a believer depends on how you think about God, maybe more accurately. Your whole life as a believer depends on you thinking rightly about God. And the only way that you can think rightly about God is to think biblically. And the only way to think biblically about God is to spend time um, prayerfully saturating your heart and mind with the Word of God. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things, um, I think one of the um, um, very positive things to come out of uh, this uh, quarantine, this 
uh, COVID-19 coronavirus world that we're living in is that you and I, we have the opportunity to hit reset in a lot of places in our life. We have the opportunity to have some time that is downtime, some time that we can do things that in the in the pace of our life, how it has been, we haven't had space for that. But I'm telling you, in many ways, while we're praying for this to be over and we, we want this to subside and we don't want this virus to spread, we have this great opportunity to hit reset. We have this great opportunity to press into some things that we've never had time to be able to do. And one of those things for so many of us is extended time in God's Word. So so being in God's Word, saturating our minds and our hearts with with what God has to say. And I know some of the obstacle for for so many is, hey, I only have a few minutes of the day and I I read something for five or 10 minutes and I don't know what what that says or how to do that. And and so now you've you've got some extra time and you may think, well, I, I don't know what to do in God's Word. Well, here is some great news. And if you're up for it, um, I would love for you to join me. I'm going to begin next week um, while we're online and while we're doing this is I'm going to be doing some uh, teaching on how to study the Bible. And so I'm going to put that out on um, a YouTube page. I have an old YouTube page. I cleaned it up. I'm going to put that out there. And then I'm going to announce some scheduled Zoom calls and if you want to participate in that Zoom call, and we'll talk about how to study the Bible, we'll, we'll look at a passage together and walk through and say, okay, this is how we would do that. And um, I, I'm going to schedule those. If you want to be a part of them, you can RSVP. We'll put you in it. I'll record them. We may make that available as well. But I'd love to help you engage in um, uh, studying God's Word in ways that maybe you've never thought that you have been able to do before. See, Paul's whole thing is this this idea, um, you you might think about it this way. You you might think about uh, swimming in the ocean. It can be defined several different ways in your life. You know, one way of swimming on the ocean is laying on the shore and letting the the water come up and, and, uh, you know, wash over your feet. And, you know, certain times of the day, you know, that's that's how you would describe uh, swimming in the ocean. For, For many, that's the way church is. You you, you equate church with, uh, you know, c- coming on Sunday and you bring your Bible and then, you, you know, you walk in after church on Sunday, you set your Bible down on the on the coffee table or on a table and it sits there all the next week and you pick it back up and it's there waiting for you when you go the next Sunday. Um, that's one way to think about church. It, the, another way, swimming is the illustration, is is you actually walk out into into the ocean. And you do that, your, your feet are firmly planted in the, in the sand and in, in, in the earth, and you, you feel the waves come upon you. And the deeper that you walk, you know, into the sand, um, uh, the more difficult it becomes to stand and you know, the more powerful the waves are. And, and this, I think, sometimes is a very difficult place for believers to be. You, you realize that the, the, the little water, you know, it, that feels good on your feet as you're laying on the side, but ultimately it's safe. It's, it's unsatisfying. The deeper you go, the, the more you press in, the more time you spend in God's word, you experience this sort of increasing difficulty to stand in the ground that you've always stood. 
sometimes things in your life begin to unravel. Sometimes conviction comes and it comes loud and sometimes it comes often. And so while there's something about feeling the power of the ocean, um, we, we can be afraid of it. We, we don't want it to be so totally consuming that it's not safe anymore. It, it threatens. Uh, the, the more and more, um, the, the deeper and deeper you get, the more and more it threatens the, the, the firm standing that you have. Oftentimes people just find themselves coming back to the dry sand. The, the final way I would say, and I'll move on, but the final way of swimming in the ocean is, is to actually wade out into water. Um, let, let your feet leave the sand. Instantly you become at the mercy of the ocean. You don't struggle against it. You cooperate with it. The, the adjustments that you that you make and in, in, in the members of your body, you, you respond to the power of the ocean. You ride up and down with the waves and, and you take, uh, you, you allow yourself to be taken where the ocean leads you. I, I contend to this, that, um, that place is where we feel the least amount of control of our life. And at the same time, we experience the most amount of freedom the most amount of maturity, the most amount of liberty, the most intimacy with Christ is when we've found ourselves at the mercy of God's word. So listen, whether you're an engineer or a lawyer, or you wait tables or you're a student or you're a domestic CEO or you, you tend to people's needs or you, you know, whatever it is, this, this, being in God's word, this thinking biblically, this being washed over by the power of God's word, you, it allows you to live your life in the light of Christ, thinking rightly about God. Um, that becomes um, the forefront of your mind. And, and so your criteria changes from, is what I'm doing on the list or is what I'm doing, you know, not on the list. Um, you, you, you can begin to think about living your life with this thanksgiving to Christ. Well, he's going to go on. The, the rest of this bit is um, he's going to say in verse 15, we need to walk in love. Verse 16, we protect um, um, our, our reputations. In, in verse 17, listen, liberty is not a code of conduct. It's a benefit. It's a, it's a privilege. But, but righteousness and peace and joy uh, in the Holy Spirit, that's the content of true life in the kingdom. And then verses 18 and 19, life in the kingdom is outward focused, uh, pursuing um, peace, pursuing the um, building up of others around you. That, that's your primary concern. In the exercise of our freedom, we must always ask ourselves, is what we're doing building others up, especially those that are younger, those that are less experienced in the faith, and, and if we can't answer that positively, then we must refrain from what it is that we're doing. Here's a good principle. In matters that are not directly related or addressed in Scripture, the, the believer should be sensitive to their conscience and not go against it. Um, to do that is sin for the believer. So how do you have a clear conscience? One, you bathe your mind in prayer and the Word of God. Two, 
You clothe yourself in humility, as Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 5. In uh, Romans 14, verse 5, he says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let those words sink in this morning. And let me ask you, um, how convinced are you uh, of the life that you're living? There was a man named Wilbur Chapman, and he said this, and I'll close, and then I'll pray. He says, my life is governed by this rule. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or, or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult, that, that's wrong for me. And I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is that you would take the truth of your word this morning, you would seal it in our hearts. Father, you would draw us to your son, Jesus, that, that our intimacy would increase, that our, our faith would grow and, and mature. And that, Father, in that we would begin to live out the liberty, the freedom, the joy, the relationship, the intimacy of what it means to be in Christ. And Father, as we do that, would we in love care for those around us as we protect their faith and their conscience, as we nurture their spiritual growth. Father, would you continue to unite us as a body? Would you continue to draw us deeply into the things you'd be calling us to do during a time of quarantine and isolation and um, Father I, I pray we would make the most of these days and I pray that the only way we can in the name of your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.